Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We can twist scripture to make it say whatever we want to say. Just because somebody quotes scripture doesn't mean they're from God. Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. He misquoted it, but he quoted it. And when someone quotes scripture, you want to go back and look at the foundation. See, is this what God meant? Look at who it was written to, why it was written. Is this what was meant when it was written? Has someone ever taken something you've said and twisted it around, making your words mean something totally different than what you intended? Peter warns us that false teachers will deceive many by doing exactly that to God's Word, twisting Scripture and leading many away from the truth. May we, therefore, examine everything we are taught against God's Word and confirm it as truth. Here's part two of our message out of 2 Peter 3, 9 through 18 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. When we think of the return of the Lord, when we think about Him coming upon this earth to bring judgment, when the, we read it last week, when the court is set and the books are opened, often people don't like judgment. They don't like the thought of Jesus coming and stopping things here upon the earth. But you realize that He moved that day up because if not, man would completely destroy himself. No flesh would remain upon the earth. I don't know what men would do, if it would be a, a nuclear exchange or if it would be some kind of biochemical kind of a thing, but something's gonna happen, or whether it would be the destruction of the earth, something's gonna happen. If Jesus didn't come back early, if he didn't move that data. And then it's kind of, I don't wanna say it's a moving target, but hastening the day of the Lord, that there's something that we can do, and I think this is a bit mysterious. Oh, don't, no mistake. Theologians will tell you exactly what they think about this. I've been listening to a podcast lately on theology, and I'm amazed at all of the different things that theologians will get involved in. You know, as a, as a church or a fellowship of churches or a denomination, you get accused of putting Jesus in a box. And we often will do that. The way Jesus works in our midst, the what he does among us, we say, that's the way Jesus moves. He moves this way. We put him in a box. Theologians, put Jesus into a Rubik's cube and they constantly are working it. So they'll go over one text and they'll get it figured out for that text. But then they created all kinds of problems for them down the road. And then they draw darker and darker lines with their theology. To some degree, there is a mystery in the scriptures. It is, it's mysterious. And Paul talks about it. He says that now we see in a mirror dimly. Think about mirrors in their day. They could polish up metal mirrors, bronze mirrors, until you could get a good reflection. But they get dull over time. And over time, you know, just the way we are. Some of you guys are so meticulous that you would polish your mirror every day. Then there's us that would go until we couldn't see ourselves anymore. <laughs> and then we finally get out the stuff and, and we would polish it. And he says that we see in a mirror dimly. It's like a mirror that doesn't really reflect well anymore. We don't really see the future all that clearly. There's mysteries and there's mysterious things in the scripture. And to some degree, I think it's meant to be that way. There's supposed to be mystery about the future. There's supposed to be mystery about heaven and about eternity. We're supposed to look ahead and go, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I can't wait. There's supposed to be that. So there's some mystery here. How do we hasten the day of the Lord? How do we, as the people of God involved in the work of God, hasten the day of the Lord? Well, we know that this is right in the middle of a section talking about the work of the gospel, talking about God wanting people to be saved and not wanting people to, be per to perish. In other words, the Lord has established for us 
to be a part of evangelism and that when evangelism reaches its place where it is successful and the day of the Gentiles are done, then Jesus is going to come back. So that day is established by God as a day that a certain work is done. And we as the church are part of that work. The question is, how are we doing it? Now, does that mean that God doesn't know the exact day that he's going to return? Certainly he knows because he knows all things and he knows the future. But somehow, and again here mysteriously, somehow we're involved in it because we're doing the work of the gospel. As people have pointed out that, that the person who is the last person to get saved before Jesus returns might be right here in this room. And we would say to you, get saved already. Give your life to Christ so that Jesus Christ could return even right now. So there's some mysterious way in which you and I are involved in the church and can hasten the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come, excuse me, in verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner, actually verse 12, looking for and hastening, there we are, the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwell, dwells. You ever feel like you don't belong here? You ever watch the news and think about the evil in the world? I, I don't watch the news much every few days, but whenever I do, I think, wow, this world is getting darker and darker. And it sure does sound like the last days to me. But there is a new heaven and a new earth and righteousness lives there. Peace lives there. The glory of God lives there. The King of Kings lives there. And that's what we look forward to. This is not our home. We aren't citizens of this earth, but we're citizens of heaven. And we look to that new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. Because we're looking to that new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. Verse 14 says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blameless. Therefore, you, because we're looking ahead to those things, be diligent to be found by him spotless. When the day that he returns and he finds you, that you would have everything right between you and him. Notice that it says three things here. First of all, that you be found by him in peace. Now, this might very well mean peace with God, that you have made peace with him and that when he finds you, you have peace with him. But I think it says something else too. And that is the greatest call that we have is to the people that are around us. I believe the most important thing we do is the way we treat people. A lot of times we can draw religious lines and things that we should be doing and not doing. But the most important things that we do is the way we treat people. The Bible says the mercy you give is the mercy that you're going to receive. <laughs> I have a question. Do you need mercy? Then you ought to be the most merciful person out there. The Bible says in the manner you judge is the manner God's going to judge you. If you judge people harshly, God says, I'll judge you that way. Jesus said, if you don't forgive people, you yourself will not be forgiven. The very way we treat people, which ought to be a scary thing to us if we're mistreating people. And when we're found by him, we want to be at peace. And the Bible says, be at peace with all men as much as it concerns you. That is, you try as hard as you can to be at peace with all men. There, there's some people who are not happy with me but I need to try to be at peace with them as much as I can. And then I kind of just got to put it in God's hands. I just got to kind of say, all right, well, you know, Lord, I've done what I can do. Be at peace with all men as much as it concerns you. So he says, be diligent to be found in him in peace 
without spot or blemish? How is it that you can be found by Jesus when he returns for you without spot or blemish? That horrible thought that you might be sinning when Jesus returns, that would be a horrible thing, wouldn't it? There's an old song. It was in the 70s. It was a Christian song about a guy that was sinning when Jesus came back. And he says, he's in the middle of this sin. I think he was having an affair in the song. He's in the middle of the sin. And he hears this explosion that rocks the room and turns the morning into night. And he says, and I ran out into the street and there was a hot wind blowing. And I looked up in the heavens and the saddest eyes were looking right at me. The idea that Jesus would come back when you're in the midst of this sin. Being without spot and blemish is simply having everything right between you and Jesus. Having everything right, keeping short accounts with God, that right now your sins are forgiven because you've asked him to forgive your sins. The Bible says in 1 John that if you say you have no sin, that you're a liar. So there's nobody here who can say, oh, I don't have any sin in my life. But it also says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All it means is that you have a right relationship with God, that you say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And God's ready to forgive. God's ready to forgive your sins, the Bible tells us. And I love that. He's ready to forgive. When you were a kid, were your parents always ready to forgive? You had to kind of work them into it, didn't you? You had to get them to come around because they weren't ready to forgive. But the Bible says that God is ready to forgive. He loves you and he's ready to forgive you. What an awesome thing. So that we would be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. Then verse 15, and consider that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. Again, we're back to the work that we're supposed to do. The long suffering of the Lord is salvation. That's why he's waiting. So you and I can do the work that we're called to do. And also our beloved brother, Paul. Now, Peter brings up Paul. And Mary was earlier in the book of Matthew, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Uh, and here we have a contrast of two people that were used by God. And I don't know that there could be a greater contrast between people than Peter and Paul. History tells us that Peter was a big man. I don't know exactly what a big man means. I don't know if he was 6'3", 6'4", and 220, or if he was 5'10", and 350. But he's a big guy, whatever big guy means. And Paul, history tells us, was a short guy. In fact, the description of Paul by history is that he was short, bald, watery eyes, and bow-legged. That's the description that we have of Paul. And there's a funny look in the book of Galatians where Paul says, I withstood Peter to his face. Peter had withdrawn from the Gentiles and gone over to eat with the, the representatives from Jerusalem that had came and set up a kosher table. And Paul was so upset with Peter for doing that that he went and pointed his finger at his face. And it's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? You got, you got Paul who walks up to Peter all kind of hunched over and bow-legged and points in Peter's face. You're wrong. And Paul says, I told him to his face. In fact, he said, and, and these people from Jerusalem who are supposed to be pillars, he's talking about James, the pastor who's there, who's supposed to be pillars. So Peter and, and Paul didn't always see eye to eye. But here he speaks of Paul. He says, and considering the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of things in which some things are hard to understand. And I'm glad that somebody else had a problem understanding the things that Paul was writing about. He says, some of these things are hard to understand, which untaught, 
and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do all also the rest of Scripture. He comes back now to the topic of what he's writing, that not only do people twist the rest of Scripture, but they're now twisting this epistle, these epistles that have been given by Paul, and they're twisting it to their own destruction. In other words, we come all the way back to chapter one, and that is making sure that we are interpreting the Scriptures the way God gave them. We can twist Scripture to make it say whatever we want to say. Just because somebody quotes scripture doesn't mean they're from God. Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. He misquoted it, but he quoted it. And when someone quotes scripture, you want to go back and look at the foundation. See, is this what God meant? Look at who it was written to, why it was written. Is this what was meant when it was written? Is this being twisted to say something else that might be contrary to something else that's in the Bible? People were already twisting scripture then, and they do it now. I'll, I'll remind you of the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, where he said, as there were false prophets among them, there will be false teachers among you and they will deceive many. Not only does he tell us that there's going to be false teachers in our midst, but they are going to deceive many. When you look at the cults that are out there today, whether it's the Jehovah Witnesses or the Latter-day Saints or some other minor cult that's out there or major cult, there's a twisting of scripture taking scripture and then twisting it to what they want it to say. It goes on to say then in verse 17, you, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, you already know this. You know that there are false teachers out there. You know that they're going to twist scripture. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. You beware, lest in your own steadfastness you're led away. That is, that you might listen to someone who is bringing a false teaching and that you would begin to believe them. Ultimately, you have the responsibility of making sure that you are not believing a lie. Ultimately, you have the responsibility of making sure that you're believing something that is true. I have the responsibility as a pastor to lead you guys in the way of the truth of the Word of God. I have the responsibility before God that I'll have to answer to for making sure that what I'm teaching is what the Bible says, that I'm not bringing you something that is from my own mind or worse yet, from some demonic work, but I'm bringing you the truth. But ultimately, you have the responsibility and you could be led away by your steadfastness. There is today too much of an easy mindset towards false teachers. People will get upset. Why, why talk bad about them? Why, I, you know, I, I don't know, I've learned from them. You need to be careful, lest you be led away from your own steadfastness. And I think the warnings in Scripture, and, and this is one of those, they're, they're rare, but they're there. And this is a warning. You beware, lest you be taken away from your own steadfastness. What is your steadfastness? The solidness of the gospel. The solidness of what you believe. That you could be led down some path to believe something that's different. Galatians chapter one says, if anybody comes to you teaching you anything other than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. And then he says, if we or an angel of light appears to you teaching you something that is different, then let them be accursed. And the word is anathema to the deepest part of hell. It means that what we teach and bring to you is what's already in scripture. There is this temptation when you're a teacher to find something new, 
to be able to come to church and to give you guys something that you guys haven't found before so that you would go, wow, that was good. That was new. That was exciting. But if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And remember that Peter even said several times in this book, I'm reminding you of things you already know. You know these things. Stay in your steadfastness and be careful. Be careful that you're not led by a false teacher who begins to teach you something that is wrong. Over the years, I've been saddened by people that have come to the church and been very involved that have gotten involved in different cults, in different groups. I'm always amazed when it happens. Somebody that comes week after week and they sit and they listen to the word of God being taught. They're warned and they make it through the scriptures. But then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they're open to the false teaching and they head over. You, therefore, beloved, verse 17, since you know beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. But instead, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I love that. Grow in the grace of God. What is grace? Undeserved favor. You and I aren't going to grow in works. We don't, I don't want to be on a reward work program with God. Even though I might be able to go out and do things that I could receive rewards for. Because I believe that the grace of God always outdoes the, the payment that God might give me. I could never do enough work to get the grace that God gives me. Grace is undeserved favor. Just when God looks at you and says, I love you and I want to give you grace. Sometimes we feel like we don't deserve what God gives us, the grace that he gives us. But he says, grow in the grace of God. False teachers often will come up with work-based systems. This is what you do in order to really be saved. But we are to grow in the grace of our Lord but not only grace, but in the knowledge, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is really all about, knowing Jesus. That's what the gospel is about. His life, his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection. And so if you want to grow and mature, then you learn more about Jesus and what he did and the work that he did, that you would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then Peter finally comes at the end of the book. And he just kind of breaks into praise. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Remember that Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. They were studying the different aspects of scripture because they thought in them they had eternal life. But he says, these are they that speak of me. The scriptures, all of it speak of Jesus. When Jesus, after his resurrection, he joined a couple of disciples walking down the Emmaus road and he came alongside of them and he said, why are you guys so sad? And they said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that you haven't heard what happened to Jesus of Nazareth, how we had hoped that he would be the Messiah and how he was killed and crucified? And the Bible says that Jesus began to explain from Moses through all of the prophets how the scriptures spoke of his suffering and what he would do. I've often thought, I wonder if we could listen to that Bible study of Jesus sharing how the Old Testament speaks of him. I wonder what we've missed that Jesus would have been able to share. And then when Jesus got into their presence, he sat down and he broke bread and he revealed who he was. And they said, didn't our hearts burn in us when we heard the things that he spoke? As he spoke about how all the Old Testament spoke of Jesus. 
the heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ, that God became flesh and came among us. That's the gospel. And that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to him, to Jesus, be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. And it's always when you turn away from Jesus that you begin to go down the road of those false teachers and the responsibility that we have to make sure that we're teaching what is true and that you don't get swept away by false teachers. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as once again, we take time to approach your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we find that we need to be the kind of men and women who would stand true to the word of God. We remember the letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, that they had tested those who said they were prophets and they were found to be liars. Lord, we want to test them, but we also don't want to fall short of what Ephesus did in that they left their first love. We want to be in love with you. We want to be committed to you have a heart that is set upon you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here in a moment. But if you're here today and you have never invited Jesus into your life, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, that as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God even to those who believe in his name. And if you're here today and you've never invited him in, you need to receive him. It simply means that he is knocking on the door of your heart. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And right there we have salvation. He knocks on the door of your heart, but you have to open up and let him in. He won't force anyone to become a Christian. You have to receive him. And when you do, then he'll give you the power to become a child of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you're here today and you want to invite Christ in and begin to live for him, then I want to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, just raise your hand. I want to make my way around the room and, and just acknowledge your hands. God bless you guys right behind the post there. That's great. The couple right here, just off to my right. That's awesome. God bless you guys all the way in the back to my right. God bless you. God bless you right in front of the sound booth. That's awesome, sir. All right. You can put your hands down and I would like everyone, including those that raised their hand to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned and I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses, our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco, 
meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.